0: So, uh, what day of session are we now? We are in day twenty-two. And how do you know that? How do you say that with such confidence? Because I somebody else who keeps track of it. Oh, I thought I thought maybe you were gonna say I know it's day twenty-two because right now we are setting a record for for most days that the house has not been organized. Well, that too, yeah. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Today's the day today's the day yeah we have
1: uh we've tied the record and they canceled their floor session so now it means we will
0: break the record all right well that's exciting we should probably back up and do our introduction yeah Hello Alaska, this is Pat Race, and this is Matt Buxton, and this is a podcast about Alaska. All right, so today is day 22 of the Alaska legislative session, and I can say that with some level of confidence because today is is a landmark day, right?
1: Yeah, we have have tied, I guess, the ignoble record of longest session, or the most number of days without a permanent speaker elected in the House, so nothing is happening, really.
0: Right. So the last time this happened was like 1981 or something.
1: Right. And so they organized on day 22. Um, The house uh, was scheduled to come in today. They already canceled their floor session. So that means they will go into day 23 without a um, permanent speaker. There's really no plans for when we will actually get one. So we will be into uncharted territory, I guess.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like the word kind of, going around right now is that a lot of people are just waiting for the budget to come out so we might not even have an organization until after february 13th which is uh, you know another week i
1: think that's kind of that's what i've been hearing too i would say that the big things is that we really don't know what the budget's going to look like still um it's a week out it'll be out on the february 13th um the governor of course is you know pledging to match revenues to expenditures, which has got to be our new favorite catchphrase of the session, I guess, akin to like right-sizing government and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, you know, that means big cuts and really big cuts. So like, we're talking about... Like you need to pass laws; these are such big cuts, kind of thing, to change the what a lot we expect the last government to be doing.
0: What do you mean you need to change laws?
1: So uh, let's take you know Medicaid for example. You know this is uh, one of the biggest sort of budget lines in the state in the in the state's budget. Um, a lot of it is sort of set by eligibility requirements and what what Medicaid will cover. Uh, a lot of that is kind of. Set by the federal government, but uh, so the state, for example, could really tie down, tighten sort of what um, who is eligible for the program. So say you reduce Medicaid expand or uh, undo Medicaid expansion, that might be um, some of the money. And so you'd have to, but a lot of these changes will require um, changes to law. Yes. Yeah, uh, so to, to eliminate programs, for example.
0: So what you're so with Medicaid, what you're saying is that you can't just cut the amount of money in Medicaid, you have to like, you have to change the rules. So there's fewer people that require that service. So you pay out less money.
1: Right. I mean, so the legislature has kind of been underfunding it for years now. So they end up with a a supplemental budget every single year, which I think is, you know, is obviously intentional. Everyone warns them every single year that they're underfunding it. So it's always a political battle when it comes around in the spring and they need to uh, put more money into it. So, I mean, even the governor right now is asking for 15 million more dollars to fund the unfunded portions of Medicaid.
0: And so that supplemental budget, is that kind of a little bit of a way that you can you can kind of make it look like you cut the budget when maybe you didn't?
1: Yeah. So you look at a lot of people in in previous years or a lot of legislators in previous years. uh, You can shift one cost from one year to another. A lot of what they'll do is they'll say, oh, you know, this next year we need uh, five million dollars or something for um, for the ferries, for example. Um, and then they'll, what they'll do is they'll come and they'll put it into last year's budget when, you know, nobody's really looking at last year's budget anymore. And so you can sort of shift costs, even though they really are for the upcoming year, the, there are new spending. They can shift them into the previous years and make everything look a little smaller.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, yeah. What what else is going on up on the hill? So
1: the big kind of big sort of thing that everyone's unpacking last week in in, the, in Juneau is this the governor's supplemental budget. So this is you know we're, we just talked about as far as like kind of budget tricks can be done in here. So the governor's kind of come up with a new thing, um, which is cutting the current year budget in the supplemental budget. So usually there's this is where we kind of ask for stuff that we unexpected costs. You know so uh, firefighting is often in here, um, uh, earthquake response is in here. Uh, A few other things. Um, But so they uh, are looking at cutting $20 million out of the current education uh, budget, which is pretty unheard of because it was a piece that was sort of required to get uh, agreement this last year on the budget. Um, Schools are already uh, budgeting. You know, they already built this into their budget to get this money. And so now that they're proposing to uh, cut it. And so, it, you know, this really landed with a thud uh, in the legislature.
0: That also seems like a problem. Like if you're going to try and negotiate in good faith with, um, you know, people who are in favor of funding education, uh, that's probably not a good uh, step to take. Because you're, you're basically saying we, we had an agreement, but we're not going to honor that agreement. Right. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I think that's that's really a, that's the, the big point that I have been harping on with this is that, like, yeah, there's there's the actual impacts to the schools and everything. And I don't think the everything that the legislature's done so far would suggest that they're not going to sign on to this cut to schools. Um, but I think it does sort of paint a picture of what is going on inside the governor's head as far as what's going on with the budgets, which is basically year to year agreements are moot you know, and he's kind of redoing the budget on his own and kind of reopening these sort of hard fought negotiations. And I think it's a really interesting move to be pulling at a time when he's also asking for the legislature to sign on to three years of payments uh, for the PFD, right? So he wants them to also agree to for for the next three years to be paying almost a billion dollars a year for back PFDs. And so I mean if they pass it this year like they can pat themselves on the back but then do they come back next year and say actually we aren't going to do this
0: after all yeah it would be tough to be in the legislature right now and see that happen and then not really have a lot of faith that whatever negotiations you make are going to stick you know they okay so i'll give you this thing and i and we are going to fund education to this amount and then they're just going to pull it out next year that's a it's not a good precedent to set in terms of being able to work together and be able to like solve some of these problems that we have
1: yeah i mean it's almost like we have a governor who uh as a legislator who was there for six years who had never passed a bill
0: <laughs> is that true yeah he never pa- never passed one bill and he was in the majority for most that uh, for the entire time right right oh okay well, i mean that's interesting
1: also and all of i mean it, it should be noted that his proposals were very much like swinging for the fence sort of things i mean they were um redoing the the health care uh for schools they were school vouchers they were um pretty uh paying back the pfd you know these were all like really big things to be doing um but you know uh there, there were no he didn't have any like bridge renaming bills which are usually the kind of stuff that freshman legislators get passed
0: yeah okay so so the dunleavy administration's also had some problems with getting people appointed to positions they had um two candidates for the Department of Administration that stepped, stepped back from their n- nominations. Uh, and just last week, a uh, uh, appointee to the Board of Regents uh, withdrew her name after she came under some criticism for a few things that she said. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, you know, accusing Michelle Obama of being a man, uh, supporting the Pizzagate, yeah. kind of conspiracy chain, QAnon.
0: Yeah, and we had a we uh, had also. what I thought was a really interesting conversation about, like, you know, is, is this— just a vetting problem, or is this an ideology? You know, like, are we seeing the values of this administration through the people they're appointing, or are we just seeing a couple mistakes coming out here? Um, yeah. You know, but I, I don't, I think that the more, I've, the more I've thought about this over the last week or so, the more I'm thinking, the more it disturbs me, because I think that that, I think we are seeing the inherent values of this administration through the people they're appointing. Um, right. You know, there's some criticism over this new appointee that's, um, uh, being appointed to the department of administration. But what bothers me is they're bringing in her her husband as well and giving him kind of like a cush job that like, it seems like was sort of made as a landing pad for him. Um, that's a little fishy. Like
1: $135,000 too.
0: Right. Yeah. And then, and then in addition to that, I think there's kind of this like, big elephant in the room, and and that is uh, Ben Stevens. Like, we're not, we've kind of just breezed past that. There were a few news articles that came out, but this administration has put Ben Stevens back to work, which is really, like, really bothers me. I have this, like, deep fascination with the Vico scandal, and Ben Stevens was at the center of that. Like, he, you know, he got hundreds of thousands of dollars from Vico. Uh, Bill Allen called him out on the stand under oath and said that he bribed him. And there, and there are countless documents from the feds that, like, implicate him deeply in the whole Vico scandal. And it's – it's to appoint someone like that to a position of, of trust really doesn't give me a lot of confidence in your ability to govern. So I that's kind of my biggest problem right now with the Dunleavy administration is, like, I think we're seeing a lot of, um, I don't know, malleable uh, morals.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, like y- – you know, it does—a lot of these appointments, I to me, um, do sort of look like political payback, you know? It looks like, you know, they d- rubbed someone's back somewhere—scratched al- someone's back somewhere along the line and are kind of landing jobs in the yeah. administration right now. Or not even— I mean, it's uh, going to be really interesting, I think— you know, the, these departments will come under scrutiny. Some of these these hires can. You know, there, there's a whole legislative process that allows them to really look at this. And so I hope that there are people who are, are willing to ask those tough questions and really get some good answers. Because maybe there is a justification for some of these hires. Maybe there's something that we're just missing. But it sure does seem problematic, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's fishy. And I think some of the like, you know, you talk about political paybacks, I think some of them are political investments that are going to pay back in the future. Um, yeah. You know, like one of the things that um, Dermot Cole wrote about this week was uh, Donna Ardwin's connections to private prisons. And, um, you know, she advocated for um, private prisons in different states where she worked, which uh, seems to be like seems to me like it might be part of the equation here. Um, I know the Democrats have kind of, they've asked some more questions about, like, what is her association with the private prison organization? Why is the GEO group that she, you know, worked for before? Why are they, why do they have a lobbyist in town now? You know, like, what's the... <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and, and we have a really complicated and ugly history with private prisons that, again, goes back to the VICO scandal. I mean,
1: the the parallels that we're starting to see between this administration and the... Or, the sorry, excuse me, the Trump administration are becoming to be pretty striking i guess i mean i think there are some like superficial ones where you know i think people will make fun of it but it does sure seem like there there's an intent to line people's pockets basically um you know i one of the big warnings you see um about private prisons is the rollback of rehabilitation because you know private prisons need to be able to fill beds and and they need to and and rehabilitating your your inmates and your prison population doesn't help fill beds and that's it makes me feel pretty sad about, I think, the direction the state is going in under under this administration. I think, you know, you, you wonder what kind of vision there is, and it feels like maybe there isn't a whole lot of vision except for, you know, I guess owning the libs and... And 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 making sure people make a buck along the way. I don't know.
0: Right. It's it's less about privatizing government and more about privatizing public funds. Like I'm not. Tr- yeah. Yeah. That's a good. Exactly. It. Yeah. And I don't know. And and you mentioned this. I think in a conversation we had earlier that they might be interested in privatizing API. Is that a? Yeah. So, so that's,
1: that's something we're, we just heard about. Um, I'm still kind of digging into it, but that's yeah. I mean, it's,
0: an API. Sorry, API, API is yeah. what. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know?
1: the Yeah, sorry, the Alaska Psychiatric Institute, yeah. So yeah. it's a it's a mental health hospital for basically very serious cases. Um, it's either, you know, people in crisis or people with severe um, severe mental illnesses, basically, uh, to get the kind of treatment they need. Um, it, it's the only hospital of its kind in Alaska. There are some other beds in, in various facilities, but none of them are really equipped the same way.
0: Uh, so API, they just conducted a uh what some kind of examination of their facilities right and they yeah. are in crisis basically they have um, the report came back really bad it said it was one of the the lowest scoring hospital in the mm-hmm. in the nation is that yeah. right and it, and it yeah was, i think
1: it had the, the had mo- the most uh serious or severe deficiencies of any kind and we're talking about like uh imminent threat of or risk of, of, of harm coming to patients and people working there um yeah. you know and it's tough it doesn't really paint a super clear picture as to how it got that way but you know we were talking a lot about um, you know budget cuts that have affected it in in pretty serious ways and so now you know they're looking at potentially privatizing it you know there are a couple companies that do private psychiatric hospitals i think it'd be really important to know You know, how those those private psychiatric hospitals compare, I think.
0: I don't know. Alaska has a really, again, we have a complicated history with a lot of things. But with mental health, um, there was this old saying that you're either... In in Alaska, you're either inside, outside, or at Morningside, and and that is uh, because you were either inside Alaska, you were either outside Alaska, or you were in in the Portland, Oregon mental institution called Morningside, which is where a lot of people just got vanished to. Like a lot of Alaskans back in the territorial days, just got plucked out of their communities and disappeared off to this place, never to return. Um, And there's a there's actually a really fascinating website devoted to the Morningside Hospital and its history there. Um, You can search for patients and you can um, get information about about the history of the place. And it's um, you know, but basically it was it was such a bad situation that people in Alaska decided, no, we want to take care of our people here in the state. And we want to we want to care for them so that they're not being like sent sent away.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember in a lot of my stories, I'd run across people who um, up in Fairbanks who who had to be relocated down to API. And for a lot of those people, you know, it's very difficult for them to relocate. It's difficult to be away from family. Um, and so, and, you know, and it's putting a strain on hospitals. You know, a lot of, a lot of the hospitals are trying to handle this too. Um, people end up in prisons. You know, that's where we were finding, you know, part of the report revealed that, that you know, we're, Alaska was basically using jail cells for some of these people in crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty scary. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, the under the, um, you know, a couple of years ago, we had uh, rep- looks look at uh, how we were treating uh, people who were highly intoxicated and, and were basically just throwing them into jail cells with, um, you know, a pad and mat um, where they were supposed to drink it, you know, sleep it off. But some of these people were so intoxicated that they really were in a medical crisis. Um it's scary, you know, and I think, again, it sort of displays either our, our values or our, our lack of values when it comes to caring for some of these people in risk. And and so, again, it's one of those questions I think Alaskans really need to be having, you know, and exploring.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how we wrap that up. I feel like it was a really, like, bummer episode. What do we uh, – is there anything anything exciting going on that you're, you're –
1: Oh, so I saw – okay, here. how about this? Yeah. So I saw a conversation on Twitter today about uh, colors for each city. Do you have any ideas? What would Juno you know be? Juno's you know color.
0: Colors? I'm going to say kind yeah. of a, you like – assign a color
1: uh, to a, each city in Alaska.
0: Kind of a greenish-blue, like the, like, ocean and rain colors.
1: Yeah, I like that. Fairbanks would be gold, I think, is what people sort of came up with. Um, I've been thinking about what Anchorage would be, though. I think uh, right now I'm looking at a window, and it's gray <laughs> and white with snow. But, yeah, sl- I kind of think it's gray Yeah. or slate, maybe like a bluish slate.
0: Yeah, actually, slate works. Yeah. So that's good. Um, yeah. I, so, wait, where did that come from? That was on Twitter?
1: Yeah, that was uh, Spiffy.
0: Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, what was the Spiffy, thing about the hot yeah. dogs?
1: The hot dogs?
0: Yeah, you didn't see the thing about the hot dogs?
1: Oh, I haven't seen the thing about the hot dogs. Oh, no, there was
0: much people arguing about whether, uh, like, what the legislative, uh, like, what the AK leg hashtag crowd's food of choice was, whether it was Musubi or hot dogs or Pelmeni's. Um, oh. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. Do you, you want w- Anch-
1: Yeah, probably Anchorage would be the hot dog. Uh, the Juno crowd is certainly the Musubi, I feel like. Fairbanks is probably Thai food again. That's the only oh, man. thing everyone, everyone, anyone, ever talks about
0: up there. Thai food's so good in Fairbanks.
1: It is. It's quite good. Yeah,
0: oh, it's amazing. Uh, there was
1: a, there was a Super Bowl commercial uh, by GCI where it was it was showing a military member I think uh, getting settled in and and it was set in Fairbanks and of course uh,
0: they mentioned the, the the Thai food. Yeah. All right. So there's some good stuff happening too. In addition to. Uh, grumbling and and yeah speculating. i mean it's kind of like we
1: i mean if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time you know that this is like kind of our common refrain right is that like the more we pay attention awful. to politics the, yeah well the more you pay attention to politics the closer we pay attention to it like the more depressing it becomes, but I think it is really important to kind of step back and to look at the community and the people that are around us. And, and remember that like most of what affects us is on the local level. And that's also luckily the place where we can have the most um, direct say in, in, in how that is shaped. So, um, so, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff happening on the local level.
0: Even with state government, there's that connection. Like, I mean, it's it's so accessible. It's, oh, yeah. it's it says you know, rep- the guy rep- who
1: got to design all of Alaska's voting stickers.
0: <laughs> but it is. I mean, like, I I I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm speaking from a position of, of privilege, but I think that, you know, each legislator represent, represents so few people that you can just, you know, sling off an email or give them a call or, you know, find a friend of a friend that knows this person and, you know there the level of access that we have in the state is is outstanding and I think it's one of the things that'll save us is that you know it's going to be hard for um, you know when this when the governor's budget comes out and it has 1.6 billion dollars in cuts um you know every one of those people in the in the legislature is going to know someone who's affected by every one of those cuts and I think that you know that's going to make it real hard to to just sort of eviscerate the government
1: mm-hmm I mean, I think, and I think there are going to be hopefully important discussions that happen around those places. Um, I think that's a, that's a healthy thing to happen. I just hope it's happens in an honest manner. I think that's kind of like my worry with, the budget being released more than a month into session is that, you know, that's a whole month that we haven't really been talking about it. It's a whole month that we haven't been having these discussions. And so, you know, does the governor come out and say, want to say, all right, I got my budget out. Let's pass it. Let's be done in 90 days without really the the necessary conversations and, and sort of understanding what's going to happen. Yeah, but so, that's not
0: his decision to make.
1: Right. It isn't. So I hope, I mean, I, yeah, so you contact legislators. I mean, stay involved with them and stay engaged and make sure that they, can hear the pressure and, and feel it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, it's good talking to you, Matt and uh, goodbye, Alaska. See you later. It's so hard to talk about politics and not just get to, like distraught. Um, I know. I you, mean, that's the know. thing is
1: like reading Dermot stuff is, is really rough because it is like I mean he's probably he's pay, he's doing paying the closest attention and kind of yeah. having some of the toughest questions, but yeah. Well,
0: he also has a historical perspective of like you guys, right. you guys, we just did this. Come on, we just yeah, did exactly. this. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that bugs me about Ben Stevens is that like we that was just that just happened. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Anyways, we'll see. We'll see yeah, how nice. it all unfolds. All right, take care later.
1: Bye, bye.